0: Hi guys, so I wanted to talk a bit about the whole CCK TCK thing, which is the third culture kid or cross culture or cross cultural kid. And those who know me pretty well, I uh, do know that I am very passionate about it because, well, I am one. <laughs> Let's start with that. I. I identify as CCK more than TCK, and I'll get into that in a minute. But it's also important to me because growing up, I didn't have the terminology. I didn't really know that there was actually a term for this, which sounds like such a cliche. But it is true. I remember I was in college and in Hungary, and I was talking to a group of Americans, who, I think it was actually a theater group, a drama group, yeah, it was the drama group I was a part of, and one person asked me where I was from, so I started listing everything off, because back then, I would just give you the whole list in one, and now I'm a bit more selective about, it's also how I feel, and I told her, and she just I remember she looked at me and just said, have you heard of Third Culture Kids? And I just went, what? <laughs> and so then she told me that there was a name for it, first of all. And then I think she told me to look up some things online, which I did. And it was, it was really nice. It was really great to find out that I'm not alone Which I knew because I had actually put up some ads before that about is there anyone out there who feels like me, who doesn't feel like they really have a country, who feels like they're a part of every country, but they're not. And I did get several replies, which were really interesting, and opened up my eyes to some things. So, finding this information on the TCK, CCK, uh, just community basically, that was, it was a goldmine, I have to say. So, to me, the terminology, there is a huge difference because a third culture kid is somebody whose mother comes from country A and she could be of any nationality and father comes from country B and again he can be of any nationality and then you grew up usually in several different countries and with cross-cultural kids for me again the distinction is and that's why I would fall more into the CCK category you grew up in maybe only one country and you had more of an idea of being steady which means again again this I'm not generalizing a third culture kid was more likely to move around every other year so we're all familiar with the term expat And basically, the TCK is a child of the expat. And for me, an expat is any person, regardless of nationality, who moves to at least one other country and with the intent of either moving on from there or coming back to their country of origin. And by that, I mean the country in which they grew up. Whereas, usually you'd go to what is called exotic locations. And again, keep in mind that if you're from the south, if you're, let's say, from Nigeria or South Africa, and you move to Finland or Iceland, that would be a pretty exotic location for you. And the other way around, too, of course. So, the TCKs, usually, the ones that I know... They would go to international schools, and then they would mostly speak English, and usually with an American accent. Whereas the CCK can stay in the same country for a long time, can be the child of immigrants, can be somebody who moves from country to country as well and can be somebody whose parent is actually a part of the country that that child is living in and growing up in or again it can be a whole different country so as you can tell from this this honestly is not rambling it is really that complicated it's not that easy to put into categories. So just for the sake of facilitating things, TCK is more work connected for a shorter period of time, moving around usually between different countries that are diametrically opposed to your country of origin, or again, meaning the country that you grew up in, whereas Cross cultural kids can be anything. They grow up as children of immigrants, they can grow up as TCKs, they can stay put in one country, but the idea in both categories is that you always feel different and that's not a bad thing. It can be it can feel alienating, but it's also a tremendous asset and that's why I'm so passionate about getting the word across and bringing my experience to the table because everyone's experience is different, just to show that the vastness of that community and also a lot of times growing up, there is no way really that you can identify with a hundred percent, which usually doesn't happen anyway, but I remember getting really, or being drawn, not even getting excited, but being drawn to certain actors and actresses and some musicians without being able to explain exactly why. And then it always turned out that they somehow or other had traveled around quite a bit and had different ancestry or different nationalities you know the blood of different nationalities were flowing through their veins and as a kid for me that was one of the reasons that I really really love being in America because for those of you who don't know or don't remember I grew up with a French passport and in various U.S. states We lived in New Jersey, several years or several times we ended up in New Jersey, then we spent time in Montana, then first I was in Chicago, then I was in Maine, So and then there was a period where I was actually in Canada, in Toronto, so it was a lot of back and forth, and then also being in Germany So I first went to the States when I was really young. And I was always around Americans. English was always around me. So that was, it was never a foreign language in that sense. But also what to me as a child was interesting in America was everyone was a bit like me. So everyone had the father who was from one country. And my dad was actually Hungarian. So that was a little extra layer that came into play. And my mom's country, I don't connect with at all. So I just leave it out of the equation now. I I speak the language. And according to a friend of mine from there, my writing is horrendous. But I never learned. So I actually when I started writing some things down some expressions that I really liked in that language uh, is when I started consciously thinking about how to spell words and I was well into adulthood at that point so language is actually a very good point because I grew up with several languages so we spoke French then we spoke German then there was English and my dad grew up with different languages I mean his background was he was born into a Jewish family but became atheist because he's a Holocaust survivor so which I totally understand and I'm not getting into that and I would not like to debate this because that's a whole other debate which merits a whole other platform and forum. Mm. So, for my dad, it was normal to have grown up with several languages. And they spoke, he spoke Yiddish with his mother, Hebrew in school, Hungarian outside of the house. And then they would have, because he grew up where he grew up, there was another language involved there as well. And so when I. It tried to explain that in Germany, they would because I sounded German. So they would ask, where are you from? And I'd say, actually, I'm French. And then they would either believe it or not. And then came the question of, why do you speak German like this? And my mom actually put me into Steiner School for the reason that she stated was, well, first of all, they involved you in three different languages from the start so you had English you had German and you had French and the way the language was transmitted was people or the teachers actually told you stories they told you fairy tales in English they made you sing songs in French little things like that which because I was so far ahead of everyone in that aspect and with those languages I actually wasn't bored, because every child likes a good story, you know, I mean, it's kids, of course you like a good story, adults like a good story, but sometimes we forget about it, so hearing those fairy tales was, it was great, you know, because for me that was normal, and my friends would somehow learn, but the teachers were really good, so they would act it out, so even if they didn't understand what was going on, then they could get it from the gist of it, you know, they could get the gist of it from from the way the story was told, but there was always this question of, wait, where were you born, why do you have this nationality, why do you speak a different language at home, why do your parents sound different, and this was, interestingly, in an environment that had a lot of ethnic Germans coming in, so... Some of your grandparents or their parents would have moved from Poland from Romania from Russia to Germany because at some point their ancestors had wandered off, decided to make their fortune in the east, and then came and it came ended up coming back about you know three hundred four hundred five hundred years later. but what was interesting about those families was they were very German, so even if the grandmother, for instance, wouldn't speak German that well, she would always, not pretend because it was real for them, but they would staunchly maintain, I am German, I am German, I am German, and you would see little kids who would speak Russian or Polish with their parents, and then turn around to you when they were German, and you'd ask them, Hey, where are you from? And they would, you could tell how conditioned they were to just say, I'm German, I'm German, I'm German. Which, okay, I mean, fair enough if that's how you feel. I don't agree with it, but I understand that need to blend in. So I see why the parents would do that. Whereas in America, what happened was. First of all, especially in New Jersey, a lot of my friends were Puerto Rican. And at home, they would, they would switch like me. So they would speak Spanish at home and then English out on the streets. So we immediately had that bond that connected us. And as a kid, you never really put that into words. I'm a huge believer in kids' feelings. Things and just picking up on it, and they internalize so much that we're not even knowing that they internalize a lot, we're still not aware of the full extent. So, growing up in the States, there would be the Puerto Rican community, then there were sometimes kids like me whose parents spoke different languages and had different backgrounds. But regardless of that, everyone's grandfather or great-grandfather or relative had come from somewhere else. So you would have conversations with someone and they would say, oh, I'm Italian, or my grandmother's Greek, my dad was Irish, my great-grandmother was Polish. And I liked that because it made me feel at home. I had people around me who understood what it was to have different nationalities in you. And I know a lot of Europeans have issues with Americans saying, look, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm French, I'm Italian, I'm Greek. But the point is, you really do feel a part of that. And as a kid who, for... Several periods of her life was in an environment where you could only be one nationality going to an environment several times again where you could not pick and choose only but you, it was just a fact of life that your grandmother on your father's side was this and that, and your grandmother on your mother's side was that and that, and the grandparent, the grandfathers were something else, so that was a huge, huge relief. And, uh, of course, when you move around a lot, when you have these different elements of not having a country that you identify with, hundred percent but having several countries then there are certain things that make you different especially moving around and this has been said a lot of times the idea is you make friends really quickly because after a while you realize this person might be gone in a month but I really like them and as a kid that's all you see you want instant gratification so when you like someone, then you just grab them and tell them, you know what, you're going to be my friend. <laughs> and for people who have been in their same place and usually growing up with the same friends around them, that behavior is really weird. And it can be off-putting, this instant idea of friendship. So after a while, one's... I had read up on this and I had seen that this is actually a normal thing for us CCKs, TCKs to do. I would explain to people, look, if I'm too straightforward, if I seem to accept you too quickly, just please bear in mind that this is because of my background. And it might still be weird, but at least for them, they have an explanation and you're not the freak who is overpowering them with this puppy energy really because you are like a little puppy you're so happy that you found friends that you just want to hug them and you just want to be with them and tell them everything and bond instantly and you discuss your whole life with them you know in, in five seconds and the funny thing is about cck's and tck's we always find each other my favorite, one of my favorite examples is I was in a youth hostel in Budapest, and the deal was that I, my brother was coming in a day after me, and we were supposed to meet up when he was back, so I had a lot of time because he didn't know exactly, he was driving, so he couldn't tell, exa- he couldn't say exactly when he was there. And, I mean, I lived in Budapest before, so it, it, was, it was no big deal. There was a girl in my dorm room, and she was, uh, she was an exchange from Taiwan, so she just wanted to see Europe as much as she could. And I liked her, so I just told her, look, I mean, I'm supposed to meet my brother, I don't know when he's coming in, but I've lived here before, I know this place, I used to live in this neighborhood, so if you don't mind that I might have to run away suddenly at some point because we were supposed to see relatives and friends and it was a whole kind of jam-packed day and so I'll I'd love to show you around and you know she was really happy about it and I was happy and then we had breakfast so there were about three or four tables And each table would have about five or six people there. And I just looked at two girls and asked them if we could sit there. And they said, yeah. We started talking and it turns out the usual. as you doing in the youth house? Where are you from? What are you doing? Where are you going? What have you seen? And as it turned out, there were probably 30 or 60 or 80 people in that breakfast room having breakfast. As it turned out, they were born in Mexico, moved to America when they were, I think they said 14, stayed for several years, and then went back to Mexico. And when they told me this, we just burst out laughing because it was so obvious. And one of us said it as well You will always find each other. So if you're a CCK, TCK, or if you're interested, in the whole subject I will be talking about this some more because there's a lot of territory to still be uncovered and discovered and I'm very curious to see what you guys think also for those who have not been exposed to that lifestyle who have friends or who are just interested in that so hopefully this has given some clarity or just helped you see some things of how things can be perceived from another viewpoint. And again, I have to stress, I cannot speak for all the CCKs and TCKs in this world. And there are some general experiences. I say we a lot, but by that I mean the people, the CCKs and TCKs who have acted like me, with whom I've spoken about this, because think of a classroom. Everyone is kind of in the same age group and from the same city or from the surrounding areas. So you have that in common. But how different are your interests? So you can you can sort of generalize in by saying on average, they do this, they do that, but then there are still so many individuals in that classroom that it's impossible to just take them as a monolith, like with everything else. So anyway, enough preaching. I hope you enjoyed it. Let me know what you think, and then I will talk to you guys at some point in the future. guys so today i wanted to talk a little bit about how i identify and i can't say we anymore because this is such an individual decision that you will probably get as many opinions as you will get speakers but to get right into it so as those of you who know me know that I always introduce myself as French-American. That's been my identity or how I feel deep down inside for quite a long time. And I would say it goes as far back as being able to identify that you have an identity, that you have to kind of sort of align yourself with somebody in this world and ideally it should be somebody from the environment that you grew up in which is sort of true I guess for most cases or in most cases but then there's also like I said earlier my dad was actually born Hungarian so there is that part of me as well which Most of the time, I'm okay with saying that, because I've made my peace with it, and I will talk about this conflict in this episode, because it's been an important step for me, and it's been a really important process, so I really needed to go through it, just there's no other way around it. American was really easy because, like I said earlier, America for me was, and I'm not saying the country does not have problems. Every country has problems. So I'm not trying to elevate one country above another and ignore all the bad things and truly atrocious things that are happening. This is just from a child's perspective. Trying to find a home, if you will, is where the identification process started and how it goes on. So if you stick with it, hopefully, then we we'll, towards the end you will understand what I mean and why this childhood thing is so important. So like I said, America, very easy, you spoke the language, you blended in, you sounded like them, you acted like them it was cool. I mean, if they couldn't pronounce your name because it was too weird, and I would go by my middle name until I was 14 and categorically decided, "Mm -mm, no way, I hate that name, I'm not using it unless I have to, so no. But my middle name is a very typical French name, which everyone who has it hates, and I don't think there's a single person who actually likes this name. English speakers tend to think it's pretty because it sounds, n- it doesn't sound f- French. If you pronounce it with an English accent, intonation, maybe, uh, obviously, because it's a name that I grew up hating, so it's hard to judge, but. Um, it could sound interesting, maybe exotic or just different, but not too different. But kids being kids in the States, it was now, we can't pronounce that name. They gave me a nickname, and they were all older than me by two years. But when you're nine, that matters. That's when I remember. Um, and this episode being you know, very clear, I have my identity, and I'm going to fit in. These are the kids on my block. And my neighbors were twins, so that was another source of fascination. Gave me a name, made it American, and I was good to go. I was part of the neighborhood gang. We hung out. We did stuff. If I remember correctly, the twins actually taught us how to dance. So that was sweet. And, um, then school started and I went to a whole other school, so we didn't really run into each other that much, but yeah, it was easy, it was really easy to integrate because everyone knew what it meant to have parents from different countries, grandparents, to somehow be connected to different countries, Question because, like I said, it was there. We spoke French at home. I had the necessary, obligatory books that every French kid grew up with, and I actually remember having Anderson's fairy tales as a recording in French. So it was it was normal, you know. We would speak it, like I said. We would speak it. There was literature, there were recordings, so it. There was no question anywhere we went. Our name was French. My name was French. The family name was French. You know, it was people just knew us as oh, these are the French people. So, in that sense, it was just like I said there. Then when I spent more and more time in the States, my French actually did suffer for it. And English became my strongest language in terms of if you told me to write a text and you gave me a choice between English and French, I would go with English. Because it just, I I felt, I've always liked words. So I felt confident enough that Given pen and paper, given a keyboard, given a text, I could talk about it, I could write about it, I could do anything, as long as it was in English. And with French, after the age of nine, there was this reluctance of speaking it, because as I began to lose it, it became, wait, I should be speaking French the way that I speak English with the same speed with the same references that I can make because even to this day I'm completely lost in French pop culture and my cousin actually and this was ages ago so I have to ask him for new material Introduced me to French comedians who, without him, I never would have known they existed, or probably much, much, much later. So that's the level that I was at where got into with French. But I have to say, at even at my worst moment when I hated anything French and I saw it as this horrible, horrible identity to have people were still really nice to me, and they were encouraging, and when they would ask, you know, where are you from, what's your story, in a really nice way, so I never minded that question, but it, when it came to nationality, when it came to religion, that was a whole lot of thing, and I'll get into that in another episode, it just people were really understanding. and They were saying, I remember one friend that I made, and I told her, you know, I have a complex about my French because I haven't really used it that much, and my spelling is off. And she just looked at me and said, well, you know, think of the region I'm from. I mean, how do you think I sound? And it was just such a nice thing to say. And I remember a doctor I had in Germany, and she was an amazing lady, and her husband she married while I I was coming and going so at some point all of a sudden she was married and had another name and people were saying oh you know her husband is from Tunisia and he speaks French and somehow because I had a really good rapport with her and she was German and Somehow, the subject of speaking French came up, and I told her I would love to speak to him, but I'm kind of shy about it. And she was this very precise lady. I mean, she diagnosed me with everything normal doctors, quote-unquote normal. The average doctor would just kind of write off as, ah, you're just nervous, ah, you're just this. She would actually run tests on me and find out, well, you know what, actually you're allergic it's not just that you're nervous, you're allergic, so, and she was no nonsense, and she just told me, look, it'll just make him happy, don't worry about that, and so she introduced me to him, and I remember saying, yeah, I'm kind of ashamed about my French, and I got the sweetest response ever, because I remember him looking at me and saying, don't worry about it, I'm not a professor, I'm not a teacher, you're just making me happy that I can finally speak French. And it's such a relief. And that's mostly the reaction that I've got from, I've gotten from most people, from most French people, when I bring up what is going on with me. Because there's no other way of saying it. And so, and that was the French part. The Hungarian part I came to much later because it was really interesting. My dad wouldn't speak Hungarian at home, but he always had Hungarian friends. So the language was always around me and at the age of two I was, I'm told this, I I don't remember that part, that I would be saying, oh you're a little rascal in Hungarian because my father's friends and acquaintances would say this and I grew up with this language being there but there was no interest in, what is it, where is it from? until I was in my mid-teens, and then I sort of became aware of, wait, why is my father speaking a language that is not Latin, it's not French, it's not anything that we know of, what is this? And, but he kind of had told me, because I was not surprised, but it re-registered in my mid-teens as wait, what was that? What was this with this weird language? And what was it? Oh, it's Hungarian. Okay. Wait, why do you speak Hungarian? So it was just this really bizarre way of processing something that had always been in my life. And I remember when I was sixteen, my parents had divorced by then my dad said that he would take me on a vacation and give me three choices. I think one was to stay with him in Paris, two was to go to Hungary, and three was Israel. And I'd already been when I was seven, but somehow he couldn't come on that trip with us. So he effectively had never gone. And then I opted for Israel, but there was a lot of conflict and I remember my dad telling me, There is no way I can take you there and run even the slightest risk of not bringing you home back home to your mother. So let's rethink what else would you like to do? And I ended up choosing Hungary. I'm not even sure why. I think it just kind of pinged and went, Wait, that's the language my dad, you know? I'm like, hey, let's explore. And it was still during communism. So I, it was an interesting experience. And I remember we were assigned somehow, because I didn't speak the language, my dad did. So somehow he had gotten a room in somebody's apartment, which was a thing people did. This is before the, the whole Airbnb started. It was called IBUS and it was a state travel agency where you had to register and they would assign you a room in somebody's apartment and of course they got like I think 99% or something and yeah so probably the rooms were bugged my dad would say that the rooms were bugged and to be careful what you say and the guy we were staying with was really weird he would just I think he'd just lay out breakfast it was supposed to be where they gave you breakfast as well but it was, he was weird, not in a creepy way, just really antisocial. And as luck would have it, we were out on the street, and I think we were looking for a shop, and there was a very small shop, and the shop owner and his wife, and they started talking, and one thing went to another, and they just said, why don't you come and stay with us, which was great. And as it turned out, they were a Roma family with a daughter my age. And I did not speak a word of Hungarian at that point. They did not speak a word of English because English was not even taught in schools then, in most schools. And so... So we managed to communicate, as you do when you're a teen and you manage to communicate. I fell in love with a guy. He was really sweet. He was really nice. So it, it was, you know, the cliché of clichés, pretty much. And when we had to leave, I was devastated. I was crying. And by that time, I had sort of internalized the way that I am kind of Hungarian, right? And, of course, this being during my teenage years, Two, I want to say two months later, two weeks later, the whole thing was forgotten. No, it didn't really matter anymore. And uh, I was back to pining for America again because I was always connected to the States. So two years after that, I had actually come from the States to Europe again and I met a group of Hungarians and they completely changed my life. Because at that point, something in my brain kicked in and went, wait, you're Hungarian. Your dad is Hungarian. These guys are Hungarian. What does that even mean? And for me, it's always been about going very deep. So it couldn't just be they're Hungarian. I remember it being there, of course, my memory is really good, so I, I, I did remember a lot of details of how it felt, what people said, what my dad explained to me, because he was really good at explaining things, and he always had a very keen interest in politics, so discussing that with him was always, if if we ever ran out of things to say to each other, which, which didn't happen, but if there had ever been any risk of that, politics would have always covered any uncomfortable silences there were so bearing that in mind for me was always but you know Hungary is okay I know communism and all that but it's a good country because of that experience that I had and why are they coming to this small crappy town in Germany It's it it defies all logic of course and so I, I wanted to explore that more and I went to Hungary again with both my parents because they would they had a really interesting relationship where they could stay together as long as they knew that at the end of the day they could go to two different locations, which I totally get. So we were all in Hungary and then the lady who hosted us, again with this ibus it was after communism, but Iblis was still alive and well, her granddaughter happened to be my age, a year younger, so they got us two together, and she spoke English, and then six weeks later, I was at her place, because she'd invited me, well, I kind of invited myself, to be honest, Um, um but let's say she invited me, and so... I was there, and I was going back to Hungary regularly. And then I decided I was going to learn the language because my dad had never taught me. He didn't see it as important. And he, like I said earlier, he was a Holocaust survivor. So when he was liberated, he was done with Hungary. But he would still speak the language. But he just set off and then traveled, traveled, moved from from Austria to Italy to Belgium to France, so, and then I went through the process of, like I said, being, what does it mean to be Hungarian, I am Hungarian, what is this language, what what does that mean, and idealizing the nation, of course, as you do, I mean, you're thinking, if you're part of a community let's say a church or a synagogue think of the person who came in and converted and how enthusiastic they are how maybe from your point of view they even overcompensate because they're brand new you have this upbringing all your life and I'll talk about that as well but much much later in episodes later so I was kind of that person where you couldn't tell me anything negative about Hungary. And of course, later I saw, but it was it was okay because I had processed that. And just to keep a very long story short, I pushed France aside completely. America got pushed away a little bit and Hungary became everything. So I was studying in Paris, but I was scheming, conniving, trying to come up with any way that I could think of to get myself to Budapest. And I ended up staying there for five years. And I sound like a native, I'm told. My brother always used to say that I sound like somebody who was from the countryside because he knows I'm a city person so it was just messing with me but the truth is that I sound Hungarian enough to pass as a local but then I mess something up with the grammar or with I don't know I say something, an English word, and I'll pronounce it the English way, and then all hell breaks loose. And people have actually come down on me and said, Oh, you don't have to show off. Why are you showing off? And my friends, my Hungarian friends who were around me, and whenever they would hear that, they would just jump to my defense. And they would just totally jump down this person's throat and go, She's only been studying the language for a year and a half. And she didn't grow up with it, so yeah, of course, she switches to English, you know, which is really, really sweet, and it felt really nice. So, that also had a big effect on how I saw Hungary, and I will talk more about that in the next episode. so I wanted to focus a little bit more on Hungary because it was a very important part of my life especially that process of going from what the hell is this language to well before that being around the language when I was a toddler and a baby then transitioning through to what are they talking about here, rejecting it because it was alien but a part of me, embracing it, kind of forgetting about it, and then embracing it all over again with the goal of finding my identity through it. So all of this happening while I was coming of age, it definitely shaped me in that sense. And my dad was never patriotic. He spoke the language because he liked speaking the language. It was natural. Most of the Hungarians that he met, they are French, Italian, German. uh, I don't even think Flemish registered on their radar at all. For those who lived in Belgium. It was almost non-existent. Or really really bad. And it's so unnatural. And what I found. Maybe it's a new thing. But something tells me no. Not in my experience. Hungarians have always felt very proud of their language. They, their language is really important to them. They embrace it. With a fervor, they, it's life or death for them. And maybe that's just, we're the nationalist hardcore. Uh, But then there's the other extreme where people just go, honestly, I'm totally ashamed of having anything to do with that country. Uh Uh-uh, no. And I sort of fell into that camp for a while when I left Hungary. When I was there, it it was great. I was exploring my roots. I was learning the language. And before I moved there, I had two years in college in Paris. I picked up the language so fast that by three months, I was fluent. And by that, I mean holding a conversation where you don't understand Every word obviously, you might understand 60, 50, 80, sometimes on a good day, sometimes 30%, but, and this is the important part, you do not have to translate everything back into your head uh, from one language to another, and you do not, if you get stuck on a word, you have the ability of asking in Hungarian, in the language, What it is or how you say it or to describe it. So that to me is fluent. And I was at that stage within three months. What also helped was certain people who really encouraged me. Who had witnessed me going from nothing. Unable to understand anything in that language. Being able to say maybe... 10 words, and then going to a point where you were having full conversations, and where people who didn't speak the language just managed to talk to you. So, that was that I'm really proud of that actually that I managed to do that. And, like I said, I had so much help because those very same people that I just mentioned. When they found out that I was studying Hungarian, they categorically refused to speak any other language to me. And we had a different language before that. And they just made me speak Hungarian. They were very good at explaining. They were very good at slowing down sometimes when I asked them to. But for the most part, I was forced to talk speak the language, and if I didn't know a word, I could ask them, of course, in our mutual language, but no, Hungarian, and that's what I wanted, I wanted to have this common language with certain people, so that really worked in my favor, and then I stayed there for five years, hung out, I would say I hung out there, took some classes, worked, I was teaching coaching people doing some other work like writing and proofreading interpreting so just having fun in that sense of doing different things because I like variety I like being able to work in different fields and do different things and explore different areas so in that sense that was really great amazing friendships just learning about life which was very important and i would never say that i was naive i was that sheltered in a bad i mean not in a bad way in the sense of i had some restrictions i had things where i had less freedom than my peers curfew I did have a curfew which in the states was great but when we were in Germany that was hard because none of my friends had a curfew so that was something that wasn't so easy to deal with for me but my parents always talked about things that Maybe some other parents might not have mentioned. So, giving advice or dropping little hints here and there. I remember my dad when I was about 15. Um, telling me to remember that if I'm ever with a guy. And he's not available on the holidays or on the weekends. That means he's actually with somebody else. Which is pretty good advice to get. And for me... My image of Hungary is that everyone cheats. Everyone has a mistress, a lover, whatever. The divorce rate is sky high and Hungarians have perfected the art of accepting the patchwork family. The amount of people that I've seen where the stepfather accepted another child, or where the parents divorced, the mother remarried, she had a baby with somebody else, and the father of the first child would just take that other child with him as well, if they were going somewhere, just little things like that, which I'm sure exist everywhere, but it was the first time In my life where I was consciously aware of that on a bigger scale not just oh my friend so-and-so who whose stepfather is you know taking her and his biological children somewhere and oh that should be nice and somebody commenting on and saying well that's rare Happening all over the place in different environments with different people, and so that was interesting. And all the other things that the crime, the poverty already back then, but amplified when I went back more recently. So I like being between those two worlds, the university world and then my brother's world where they were already out of college and older because, well, they were, five, they were five years older than me and maybe even older than that. So it was great. It was great time to explore and to find out what you really wanted to do where your interests were, for instance, with language, was it more in translation, was it more in teaching, Was which I always knew that I preferred teaching over translation because I liked interacting with people better. And so that being given the opportunity to explore that was really an amazing gift, and I'm really, really glad that I had that. Then, of course, because me being me, I moved away, and I stayed away for 14 years, I came, I'm lying, I moved away, I came back after a year and a half, it seemed like nine months, but it was, it was a year and a half, cleaned out my apartment, and then never looked back, so I was out of the country for about 14 years, of course, my Hungarian declined. I didn't really have anyone to speak it with. And then it just, i of course, I recognized it. I liked it. It's a very beautiful language. It's very rich. It's very expressive. And I'm sure you've heard the old adage of the swear words are so rich and so intense that it's, it's a joy to swear in Hungarian, which is actually really true. And I'll do that if, if I'm just swearing for the sake of it, I'll always do it in Hungarian because it just expresses things much better. And in, from, from that point of view, I just felt it decline more and more until right before I went back. So, that's about 8 to 9 months before I decided, yeah, I'm going back. And I remember getting a phone call and having to speak. And it was just, whoa, 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 what's going on? Wait, what? And then it just kept getting better and better. I've seen improve over days, but this was with two people. And when I went back to... A city I was very familiar with where I knew, I don't want to say every nook and cranny because it's a huge city. But, you know, I knew my way around and I could pass for a local again. The first days, I would just, I couldn't even say thank you properly. I would really have to think, which which really messed with me because this was a language I learned. I was fluent. I was, I mean in the end, when I left, I sounded like a local. Except that I would always pronounce English things in, with the English pronunciation, which I still do to this day. Mm -hmm. Or French words, a lot of times I will pronounce them the French way instead of the English or German way. Or Hungarian way, even. So, in, but I came back very quickly, and then I noticed because I was there as an adult, I noticed a lot of cracks, I noticed a lot of things, and in those years that I had been absent from Hungary, uh, there were times when I straight out just referred to myself as French American, I rejected that side as well because it was horrible, it was nasty, it was there was no redeeming quality to it, there was nothing, and the less said about it, the better, so, yeah, I could understand the language I could follow, every Hungarian person that I met was a jerk, they were, I was attracting all these horrible people, so I went back to Hungary, like I said, and the first time, it was amazing, it was really great, then I was going back and forth between Finland and Hungary. So it was uh, four, three weeks in Budapest, coming back to Helsinki for just under four weeks, going to Budapest for six weeks, six and a half, coming back to Helsinki for five and a half weeks, and then going to Budapest again. So it was just coming, going, coming, going, which I love. And I hadn't done that in a while, so I was feeling a little off. And my brother, thank God, intuited or knew what was going on. So, he basically just went, okay, road trip. And that was great. That was really what I needed just to get back to my old self. But there's a lot of nationalism, as we know, I mean, everyone has read some article, has heard something, has seen something on social media, has heard about it on the news, and it's true, people are, the kindest way I can put it is, because I want fairness, I like balance, so I want to The kindest way I can put it is they are very protective of themselves and of their own. And my blunt way of saying what I see is, no, they are just being, I'm sorry, they're assholes. There is no other way of saying it, of straight out rejecting other people just because they are deemed lower than you when... Half the country itself, officially, but really, I would say three quarters of the country, are actually spread all across the globe because they are economic migrants. So that never sat well with me of why are you hating on this other group when you are doing the same thing that you say that you hate. And yeah, of course, we know that there's populism all over Europe but ironically being there and witnessing all that and I was always considered was one of them so to them it made perfect sense well why are you back of course you came back it's the safest country in the world and that's always code for we hate migrants which is such a ridiculous thing to say this the safety thing because as a woman, as a girl, you are not safe and hungry. You will get flashed on the tram. You will get flashed on public transportation. The risk of having your drinks spiked is very, very high. I have countless friends who have accounts of or who have experience of themselves coming home after a night of clubbing. And the time it took for them to walk from the metro or from the tram stop to their home, which sometimes was a minute, sometimes five, they would get harassed, they would get attacked, they would get followed. Um, yeah, so when people start talking about, oh, this is the safest place on earth, I always side-eyed that because there are too many factors that you need to take into consideration. But what ended up happening was because I was there and I was seeing everything from the ground up, I actually, something activated in my heart, in my brain. And I realized that, okay, this is a part of me. I do have the Hungarian side in me. And there are a lot of things that I really like about it. I like that we are excellent at performing. That we have this knack for performing. That we have this sense of melancholy which mixes in so well with happiness. You have this undercurrent of melancholy. Always present. And you can see that in writing, you can see that in poetry, you can see that in art, you can see that anywhere. There is such a great contrast that this creates, that it really brings something to life, a performance or a song. And so those are the good things. And the hospitality, the hospitality, when it's really extended to you, it's out of this world, you are really, you're taken care of, you're not just made to feel like you're royalty, but you are being taken care of in amazing ways that really make you feel great, and um, looking at it that way, I was actually able to accept the good sides and accept that this is a part of me, I am Hungarian. And it doesn't mean that I have to be one of those populists, that I have to have this national pride, that I have to hate another group of people. It can actually mean that I can be one of the admittedly few people who are not like that. And that's something that I can bring forward for myself and then also showing that to others. (laughs)